Right. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Guide me by your spirit. Pray that those who are listening would have open hearts. Have your way in this place. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We had a really great talk in leadership, and uh, I was just going to punt my message completely and do something different, but I think I can work them together. So I'm going to be looking at 2 Timothy. I'm going to start with chapter 3, verse 1. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. When did the last days begin? After the resurrection. Men will be lovers of self. So the culture kind of waxes and wanes and we call ourselves, you know, the Christian West. And there have been times where culture has been more Christian and much less Christian. But when you look at these descriptors, lovers of self, um, that's what Christianity is supposed to cure you of. You're supposed to it kind of flip your heart around so you're not all obsessed about you. But even the Christianity today, most varieties of it are very, very self-oriented. Um, Michaela, who I don't know if they're here on Zoom, but she called just brokenhearted for Africa because that health and wealth stuff. She's like, these people aren't even born again. It's, it's just another way to manipulate supernatural powers for selfish ends. They're not... We're born again. We're changed so that we are like Christ. We live for others. That's how you know somebody's really born again. And so, so much of our Christianity, it's how do I manipulate God for me? But anyway, just you go through this list. The last days, it's going to be tough because even in religion, it's going to be self-oriented. Lovers of money. That's why a lot of people don't want to come to church. Uh, they're all about money. The only This is all they ever want is money. You got pastors with three, four $20 million jets, that kind of stuff. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unloving. He's just talking about culture, but then culture infects the church. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is really interesting. Right now, what's going on in the church? It's people who want their sexuality to drive the polity and politics and the direction and the doctrine of the church. My pleasures are going to dictate church doctrine. That's what's taking over the church right now. Um, And very specifically, sexual orientation and that sort of thing. That's driving the whole discussion. It's tanking whole denominations, tearing whole de- historic denominations apart. But people are more concerned about pleasure than they are really about what does the word say about God and how to get right with God, etc. But you could launch off on any of these things and go into a sermon. But this is an interesting one. Holding to a form of godliness or religion, although they have denied its power. So Paul says, look, 
these people aren't going to be irreligious. They're going to be going to temples and synagogues and churches. But he says, one of the ways you can tell whether a church is false, does it have power? And that's one thing we don't have a lot of the churches we grew up in. We said we're Christian. We said we're Bible-believing. We said we're gospel-preaching, etc. But there's no power. And so now, in, even in our Christian, I guess I can pick on Christian churches. The Bible says we're not supposed to judge those outside. We're supposed to judge those who call themselves insiders. In churches, we don't have the power to help people who suffer from addictions. So we farm them out. And so psychological disorders like depression and anxiety. So we farm them out or with things that used to be considered psychological disorders. And I'm always like scared when I say this stuff, because it's become so powerful, even within the church, we've had people walk out of this church just for preaching a straightforward sermon that 30 years ago, everyone was like, duh, everybody knows that. And now it's just things have changed, but even we've lost our ability to help people to curb their sexual appetites and whatever proclivities. And so we're just saying, hey, come to church and your, your depression, it's, it's a gift from God. Your anxiety, it's just a chemical disorder. Your sexual orientation, there's nothing that can be done about that. It's, the church has no power. So many churches have no power, so we're making excuses as to why it's okay and what Paul says is, look, when you, when you find a religion where people aren't saying, look, I was doing something that's clearly against Scripture, I was changed. I was a sexual deviant. I am not. I was a drug addict. I'm no longer. I was depressed and suicidal and in and out of the mental hospitals. Uh-uh, it's in the rearview mirror. Not going to the psychotherapist, the counselor. No, I'm fixed. The anxiety, gone. The addictions, no more. That's what is supposed to be happening in real churches. And Paul says, where that's not where there's no power, avoid those places. It's funny, I had a conversation years ago. Uh, there was a teacher in the public school, and he was a closet conservative Christian. He was hiding out, acting like kind of a kind of outrageous. He was a, one of the coolest teachers in the school, you know, and he'd tell off-color jokes and, you know, whatever. Kind of wink at the kids when they're being bad. But in the closet, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a biblical, you know, an errantist. And I believe, you know, in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I'm like, well, what are you staying in the closet about? Well, then he went to this church that was in our town at the time. That was, how do I say this delicately? next to worthless. Um, it didn't believe the Bible, then preached the gospel. And so then at the time, one of, one of the worst students in the school had been saved and they were coming to our church and God was just jaw-dropping transformation of life. And then he said, but don't you think in other churches, maybe God is just moving quietly in ways that we can't see and I said, maybe that's just your excuse for God not doing anything. He said, yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, when God moves, it's kind of obvious. You know, I was a meth addict. I'm not a meth addict. I was nuts. I'm not nuts. Uh, 
I had no peace, no joy. I had peace and joy. I had no direction. I have direction. I was a maniac and I couldn't keep a relationship going. And now I'm happily married and I've got kids and, you know, and we're having a great time, right? No, there's actual transformation and change that's happened in my life because of what I believe. But the scripture says in those religions, even Christian ones, where you're not seeing that, he says, get out of there. Now, is that what it says or not? I don't know. I mean, like, people are like, I don't like your pastor. He's, he's too straightforward. I'm like, I didn't say it. It's Paul. He said it. I didn't, that wasn't me. I'm just borrowing his words. So uh, the chapter breaks in the Bible aren't actually there. They were put in about, I don't know, I forget it was like 1200 AD. So a thousand years after the fact they were put in. So a lot of times if you go by the chapter breaks, you're missing some really cool flow of thought. So the chapter before this, I'm going to jump back and see what flows into what Paul's saying here. Let's go back to like 2.14. He says, remind them of these things. Who? The Christians. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. So Paul's telling Timothy how a real church should operate. Don't get all off on speculations and disputes about words. Um, one of the things that inspired this this week was secondhand, I caught wind of something that was said to somebody in our church about what somebody thinks about our church. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was you. It was She's in a workplace, and they said, oh, I heard your church is Molinists. Let me just ask you guys, who in here even knows what Molinism is? I want to see your hands, which is amazing that we have 10% of the people who do. Most churches, they wouldn't know. Molinism is this wildly complex kind of theory about how God knows the future and yet gives us free will. We're not Molinists, but this is coming from a group that are like these high, these, these hardcore, scholastic, reformed people. How many know what that means? More, about half of you guys. It's like, we're neither. When it comes to all this speculation about what's going on in the infinite realm and how foreknowledge works with our freedom and sovereignty works with our freedom and God's immutability and impassibility and atemporality and is he outside of time? Blah, 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 blah. The Bible doesn't talk about that. So how many of you guys know what the word agnostic means? Okay, usually that's applied to God, but the word just means I don't know. That's what it means, literally. Gnosis is knowledge in Greek. You put an alpha on the beginning, it's called an alpha privilege. I don't know. So when someone wants to know, what do you believe about the infinite, you know, Immutable God before creation. Not a clue, man. I'm not a Molinist and I'm not a scholastic reformed dude, but I guarantee that if some hardcore Calvinist is listening to me, there's like a 99% chance I've studied Calvin deeper than that individual has because I took a whole year to read the Institutes and the 20,000 pages of his commentary. So 
Most people aren't even aware that those exist. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not that, and I'm not this. But he's like, in these churches where people get all, oh, all caught up in this stuff, it ends up cutting their hamstrings. And instead of taking care of orphans and widows and doing evangelistic outreaches and uh, being outrageously generous, you sit around arguing about 25-cent words that most people can't even pronounce instead of focusing on the fact that this incredibly complex God that we can't, we don't, we can't fathom. Such things are too wonderful for me. They're too high. I can't comprehend them. That's what the psalmist said. Job gets in trouble for thinking he can talk about this stuff. That's just what we do now in our churches. God finally shows up and he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge for Pete's sakes? If he was a little less polite, he'd say, would you shut up? Oh my goodness. Come on, Job. You got the brain the size of a pea. I'm infinite God. You can't do the, the math. You can't do the physics. You can't. So what God does is he comes to us in a person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't just there to die for us so we can get to this metaphysical mystery. He's also there to present a person to us that we can engage and we can relate to, et cetera. So I'm, I know this stuff. And I don't want to go into it. This is like, those of you who know me, you know I know this stuff. I, I gagged on it. And I'm like, that's not where the action is. You look in history. You walk with Jesus. God came to us because we're too stupid to get to him. We can't crack the God code. We can't do that stuff. Anyway, Paul's like, don't get all, that's one of the things he says, don't get all caught up in. Just walk with Jesus. And then he says, handle the word accurately. So stay away from that kind of highfalutin. Uh, I could go off too much on that. We borrowed most of those big theological terms, or a lot of them, from the ancient pagan Greeks. Most people don't know that. Even pastors that got their degrees at seminary. Immutability, impassibility, atemporality, simplicity, all these big words that we think apply to our God, Jehovah. We borrowed them from pagan Greeks because the Bible didn't try to crack the God code, and the ancient Greeks did. Which, oh, let's borrow what they said and baptize it and say this is... Maybe they got it. Maybe the Greeks got it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I'm walking with Jesus. Jesus is kind. Jesus loves people. Jesus wants to go to the oppressed and heal the sick and set people free from demonic bondage. So Paul's like, okay, this is one of the things he tells Timothy. Don't get all caught up in that stuff. God says, know your Bible deeply. Because you don't have to know all these big words or take a Greek word and talk about the etymology and the case and the, you know, the number and the gender and the blah, blah, blah. You can kind of, if you read the Bible and you get to know it at kind of a, a, I don't know what I would say, more of an overview, you find the big themes come out. So people will argue over the word, uh, the Greek word for homosexuality. Just read the book. You don't have to go into how, you know, fifth century Greeks were using it in temple conversations, whatever, just read the book and you'll see this, this basic practice is out of bounds. So Paul says, learn how to handle the book. Don't get caught up in these distracting conversations about words. You'll find the big themes, etc. Be diligent, study, know the book. Right now we're in a time where Christians don't know the book. 
need to know it chapter, verse. And if you learn it just in English and you don't learn the Hebrew and the Greek, you'll be just fine if you're prayerful and you're, hum- you're humble and you'll be fine because the Holy Spirit can speak to you through the English and you could be a PhD in Greek or Hebrew and miss everything. If you have a hard heart or, or you're determined to make the Bible say what you want it to say instead of saying what the Spirit's trying to say through it. So, I mean, these are just things that Paul is saying to the church. How do you have a church that has power? Well, re- avoid this kind of hoity-toity intellectualism that ends up obsessing over little things, brings a lot of conjecture into the Bible that Paul and Isaiah didn't see fit to talk about. Why are we talking about it? Why do you do evangelism if God's predestined people? Don't know, don't care. I'm perfectly happy not looking at these questions at all. But this isn't really what I wanted to emphasize, but maybe it helps somebody. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. So somehow when we get caught up in that things, those things, we end up practicing a religion that isn't what's in the New Testament. One of the biggest problems with people that get all caught up in this, they lose their ability to pray. Anybody that studies too, too much theology almost inevitably will lose their ability to pray. Our church prays, and we pretty regularly see miracles. Just some of you guys, because we're in it, you're not going to appreciate it until you're down the road. They actually happen so regularly, so frequently that you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Crazy person off the street, drug addict, insane guy, whatever. Yeah, now they're healthy, healthy and whole and criminal, restored, married, having kids. And in this, even, even what the church says impossible, oh, former homosexual, married, now has kids, you know, moving on. Those kind of things all happen in this church. Why? Because we pray. That's it. Because we pray. Most churches that say they're Bible-believing, et cetera, today, don't pray. And I'm not being judgmental. Go online and look. The biggest churches don't have prayer meetings um, because it doesn't make sense to us because we've gotten all caught up in the things that chasing out things the Bible tells us. Those, those are just beyond you. Leave them alone. Um, what is prayer? Prayer is God revealed himself in Christ. Christ cares deeply for people. Jesus wants people saved. Jesus wants us to look like him, act like him, lay our lives down for people, bring the gospel, go to the broken, the, you know, the outcasts, the neglected, those in bondage, the demonized, and set them free. That's what. And so prayer is, God, I got no power to do this on my own, but you've left me here as your emissary, as your representative. We need your power in this situation to get it done. That's what prayer is. So God released to us your supernatural power so we can do the impossible. That's what prayer is. That's pretty much what it is all the way through the Bible. And But if you study all this stuff and you get all caught up in words and you think you're cracking the infinite God code and whatever, prayer no longer makes any sense to you. Well, actually, God is infinite and he's in control of everything. And if he's in control of everything, your prayers don't actually accomplish anything, you naive person. So prayer doesn't actually change God. It changes you. Nobody in the Bible talks like that ever. That's only for people who think they've cracked the infinite God code. People in the Bible pray like this. Seriously. They fast because they're throwing their whole being into a request. Think about Elijah, you know, the prophets of Baal. You know, let it be known this day. You know, that there's a God in Israel that I'm your servant. 
You know, Daniel, open your eyes, open your ears, look at the devastation. Moses, your name is being, you know, at stake here, God, your reputation. They're just dealing with a person. How does that relate to this? I don't care. We got to get back to that if we really want to go ahead and study all this stuff. I just roll my eyes at these guys because Molinism is just kind of a spun out, super complex variety of Arminianism. And yeah, there's some good guys who are apologists, whatever that it is. But you're, you're not going to become, even if you're a super intellectual Arminian, you're not going to become a great intercessor because you're still saying God knows the future. So he actually knows what's going to happen when I pray. So come on, guys, have you done that? Anybody in here done that? It's just so good for your prayer life, isn't it? It's so helpful. Don't do it. Nobody in the Bible does it. You go to God because he loves you and he wants to break in and he wants to do good things and good things are good things and bad things are bad things. And uh, a demonized person who, remain, who remains in the mental hospital, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. So Jesus wasn't into that. He's into the demonized person getting out of the mental hospital. And a sick person, uh, you know, Getting well, that's a good thing. A sick person staying sick, that's a bad thing. Jesus is into good things. That's why Jesus kept saying over and over again, you got to be like a child. The super smart people are never going to get this. They're going to run our institutions. They're going to have big churches. People go, oh, he's so intelligent. He got a degree from Oxford, Cambridge. Wow. I want to go there. But uh, are they seeing Jesus like miracles? Are they powerless? Paul said there's going to be powerless. So Paul, one of the things he says is, Avoid this kind of high-minded stuff. Keep it simple. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, saints. All right? So, but I like, I like talking about it. But we still don't. I disciple guys, and they're like, yeah, that's what Ted says, but I'm going to go try it because I think that's the way it works. Like, dude, you're going to kill yourself. You're not going to have any more fun. You're not going to be in the middle of miraculous transformations of life because it does not work when your mind is trying to, somebody said, unscrew the inscrutable. You can't do it. Just walk with Jesus like a little kid. Jesus loves me. This I know. Right? For the Bible tells me so. You know, when I pray, he's going to listen. He's going to break in. But there's another thing Paul says here, and this is really what I wanted to talk about. He says uh, their talk will spread like gangrene. So this, this theology, it's in our churches, and it's killing people. It's a, it's a terrible visual, but it's very effective. Slitting your hamstrings, terrible visual. I mean, just like graphic. But that's what we're doing when we get all philosophical, way beyond what anything in the Bible, what they're saying in the Bible. Keep it simple. How does that relate to infinite God? I have no clue. I don't care. doesn't matter. God's come to me in a form I can understand. I can relate to. I can engage like Jacob. I can wrestle with, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. It's like, well, you're offending the sovereignty of God. Well, all through the Bible, God seems to like it. No, it's like when I wrestle with my little kids. It's like, oh, oh, you got me. Oh, you got me, right? Like, how dare you? You know, I'm going to throw you across the room because I have so much more power. No, God wants us to engage him. He wants us to engage him authentically. And, and, in, the, and in the wrestling, we're changed. We're transformed and our faith is expanded and we do more good in the world. And he just enjoys watching us be a part of miracle. It's what's more fun than being part of a miracle. I don't get one. Amen. Seriously. It's amazing. So, so he says, their talk will spread like gangrene, etc. Um, I'm going to jump over this. 
Next, he talks about some people that brought some nonsense into the church. Verse 19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. So when it all comes down, when you're in a church that has God's stamp of approval on it, there's power. There's supernatural things happening. I remember when Nicodemus, remember that story? Nicodemus went to Jesus in the middle of the night. And he said, we know that God is with you because no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And so in a church where God's moving, an honest person will say, we know that God is in that church because supernatural things are happening. That's why when I was young, I used to love the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. Because again, the greatest miracle is not blind eyes seeing or the lame walking. That's all fine and good, but these bodies are going to die eventually anyway. The greatest miracle is a transformation of heart from a selfish, selfish little me monster into a Christ-like giver. That's really what the whole operation is about. That's why we're here, is to make us like Christ. But I love the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and they, you know, they're not averse to miracles and prophecies and all that, but lives are transformed. They've got this huge choir, and in the choir, they've got former you know, crackheads and prostitutes and criminals, and, and then every race as well. Um, and it's just, you can't go to that church and say, this is not humanly possible. God's in this place. So you have power, but he also says, um, the, another mark of God's presence in a place is godliness. People that aren't wicked. And I was even praying, God, what is wickedness? You know, how, how do we describe wickedness? Just the clearest, broad lines of scripture. When God's in a place, you'll have miracles. When God's in a place, you'll have people that are holy. So uh, how should I? Uh, any of you guys ever been in an accountability group? I didn't finish my question. Okay. <laughs> Where, especially you guys, Maybe there's five guys, and it's just these are supposed to be Christian guys holding each other accountable. Dude, I'm just like totally blown it. I got no idea how to get out of this, and you know, and yeah, me too, man. It's just like it really stinks. I don't know, man. I'm just like, how about you? Oh, dude, I just can't. But like all the way around the circle. I, I just remember being in groups like that. Like, what is the problem? That is that is a sign that God is not working. We're supposed to go around our accountability groups and say. Victory, 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 victory. That's one of the signs. He says that. That's a sign, a mark. Let those who name the Lord, this is the seal of God. Let those who name the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. And he goes into this next phrase, and this is kind of what I'd like to focus on. In a large house, that's, I'm assuming he's talking about the church of God. There our gold and silver, silver vessels are also vessels of wood and earthenware, some for honor, some for dishonor. So in our homes, we have different, I don't know, you'd say porcelain jars and pots and, you know, other materials, clay. Some are honorable, some we have in the middle of our kitchen table because we want when our guests come over to see, oh, that's beautiful. Where did you get that? We've got another porcelain pot in a back room and it flushes. 
not the most honorable thing in our house. You know, we got another, I guess you could call it a jar, in our, but it's made of plastic out in our backyard. We don't pull that in and to show our neighbors, whatever. So God says, yeah, you know, God's going to use everything. He said, there's some vessels that God honors and uses for honorable purposes. And then there's some other, you know, God uses everything. And you're going to be used in his plan, even if you're his enemy. He used Judas. He let Judas do what Judas wanted to do, and he still ended up weaving him into the plan somehow. He used all the rebellious demons that were driving all the rebellious, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and the rebellious Romans. So he used it all. So even in his house, he said, there's people that God uses for honorable uses. And then there's people that just kind of take care of the messy stuff. What do you want to be? Well, I want to be a vessel for honor. What do you think that means? I think that means being a part of God's kingdom manifesting on earth in the lives of other people. And I want to be right in the middle of all that. Therefore, if a person cleanses him or herself from these things, what things? Well, the things I was just talking about. Don't get all ridiculous and philosophical in your theology. Keep it simple. Walk in holiness. What kind of holiness? Sexual purity, honesty. Don't carry around bitterness in your heart. The obvious stuff in scripture. He'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Then now again, all this leads into this chapter three. Flee from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Find a place where people are going for those things. Find a place where people make you nervous because they know the Bible better than you do, and they're better at evangelism than you are, and they're holier than you, and they've got a better marriage than you do. They're better at everything than you are. They're more like Jesus than you are. And hang around with them. And guess what? Your game's going to come up. And it's going to teach you humility. Yeah, it's easy for us to go, you know, I'm an MMA fighter and I want to feel good about myself. I can go to some kindergarten, you know, play yard and trash everybody. Like, I'm the champion! You know, like some of you guys can go to some church, you know, and you got some little 10-week Bible study course under your belt. You can, they'll hire you as the assistant pastor or the youth pastor, whatever. Go to a place where people, yeah, I mean, they push you. They challenge you. You guys push me. That's why I love this place. And my CD group, man, I've had guys in there. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have to up my game. You know, these guys are the way people go after people in evangelism and just towing the line, you know, to have all these young men. It's so rare. I may shock some of you women to have a church where you have a huge percentage of the guys that are totally walking a victory over pornography. Total victory. That's just not a thing. In any other church I've ever been a part of, but just like to have people that have your their game functioning at a high level in prayer, seeking the Lord, walking in all this stuff. He said, find those people and hang out with them. But here he says to have God's favor on our lives, we have to purify ourselves. And so this is, uh, I guess this is where I'll, I'll kind of jump tracks and talk about a little bit of what came up this morning. Lord, help me to do this well. I don't want to. 
step on toes or offend or anything. So our church is impossible. Not relationally. It's amazing. We don't fight in the leadership thing. We meet at 9 and we go, or 8.30, and we go till today, we until 10.15. Just really constructive stuff, and we're solving impossible problems all the time. But what we do is impossible. Um, and last week, yeah, we've got some guests here. For, this kind of stuff happens pretty regularly. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had someone who was going to kill themselves. They turned a gun in. I gave it to Richard as a police officer. Uh, we started praying. They're in one of the discipleship houses. We determined they couldn't. It wasn't fair to leave them in the house to the guys that were in the house. And so last week, what do we need to do? We need to have a little conference with him. We're going to try to get him into Teen Challenge, which is a very intensive, almost like a solitary and confinement kind of a Christian rehabilitation ministry. Um, it cost $1,000. We have four people on staff with maybe 100 people who call this their church home, which is impossible. Uh, so we don't have a ton of money, but we just are always doing this kind of stuff. And so once you guys find out that he's going to Teen Challenge, I don't think it took an hour for there's a $1,000 and get him off the Teen Challenge. Those kind of things happen all the time here. And so this, we just are always doing the impossible. I went out with a pastor, a new friend, really cool guy. Um, we're getting to know each other. And he said, you guys have got to have some serious income streams coming in. Because you got four houses, four discipleship houses, and you're doing all this stuff, and you're doing these programs, and you're, you got this internship program going on, and you got all these disciples that once they do your program, you have to do supplementary master's level work. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this stuff going on. You got to have. I was like, no, we don't have income streams like that. We don't have, no, it's just, God's just doing the impossible. And uh, I want to be real delicate how I say this. Recently, uh, for the first time, kind of, we've had a little bit of a squeeze because we, you know, took Jason on and he's, he's killing it. He's doing an amazing job. Don't you guys think so? Yeah, he's just really, it's really, I mean, he's, he's, he's always like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Like, oh, shut up. But he's, he takes our hardest cases. He takes them to the, the steps to freedom stuff, does the dirty stuff. What, you know, oversees the discipleship houses. Um, just really cool. And he's really great with his young family and just, just a great example. But uh yeah, that was a huge step of faith. And we thought everything was just going to go. Every time we take a crazy step of faith, you know, well, let's pay Lynette, you know, okay, let's pay Lynette, you know, and let's, let's help her do the women's house thing. She's yeah. What a, what an amazing gift she is to us. And well, let's do this internship thing and let's give some money to Joe. And let's, so then uh, lately we're like, ah, you know, <laughs> we've, we've, uh, yeah, we're very committed for a very small church. And it made us, me very particularly, start thinking about my own walk with the Lord. And connected to this verse, sometimes God lets us hit a little bit of tension, chaos, crises. It's trying to get your attention. We're 
we're regularly going into the impossible. We literally take people off the street, insane people, drug addicts. We, we do it pretty regularly. Um, other churches give us recommends. People they can't handle, they don't want to handle. So we'll take them. Um, so we need to be walking with the Lord very circumspectly, very cautiously, because we have to have his favor. We're in too deep. I'm serious. Like, we don't do an all-night prayer meeting, so we get some, you know, and we only do it once a month, so it's really not that impressive. But so we get some kind of blue ribbon as the church is doing it all that. No, we, and we don't do our, you know, Tuesday night prayer meetings. And I don't encourage all you guys to pray for an hour a day so that somehow, yeah, I don't know, we get a medal or something. It's our survival. We have, we, we go into the devil's camp and we punch them in the mouth and we take people out and we clean them up and God makes a trophy out of them and it makes the devil look silly. Did that kind of encourage you to say that? And you heard that? It, that's what happens. And so he hates us. He wouldn't mind if we just warmed a pew and had a little social club, whatever. But I mean, we're, we're in deep. And we, we need God's favor. And so Paul says, if a man purifies himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master. You will have God's touch, God's hand, God's power on you if you do these things. And uh, as we were talking this morning, God's had his finger on me for quite a while about an area that I fudged in, I messed up in. And this whole crisis got me thinking about my own walk with the Lord. And this is where I want to be cautious because I, we've been going five years, at least six years, maybe. I've never preached on money. Never. Because I'm like, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, we're just going to be fine. We've already done impossible things. Man, with like this whole Allen thing. You guys don't even want to know how much that cost. Yeah, sorry, Michael. And you don't even want to know. Maybe you do. It was a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot of money. It was close to... Uh, not quite, but I mean, it, it was three quarters of maybe uh, someone's uh, a full-time salary of someone if we wanted to take someone on, another person on for staff. That was a ton. And you guys, you know, you rose up to the challenge. We're just, we're, we're taking on crazy stuff. We need a new women's house and a new men's house because we've got at least four individuals that we we're talking about this morning that need to go into a men's house. And I've been talking to Susan about a women's house. These are all things that can't be done. But we, if we have God's favor and we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing, it's just going to keep happening. It's kind of how I've lived my life up to this point. But God told me in a very specific area where I fudged. And he said, look, if you want my favor, you're, I'm the main pastor of this church. I was the first pastor of this church. I kind of, I used to do everything and now I don't have to do anything. I mean, I could just go on vacation for six months and I think this thing would just roll fine because we've got all these great teachers and disciples. But uh, I just felt like God said, look, you want this to go, you want power, provision, guidance, favor, all this. Like you need to do 
precisely exactly what I tell you to do. So I'm just going to tell you a little story about myself. What does it look like for me to walk closely with the Lord, purify myself, walk in obedience, et cetera, uh, submit to the voice of God? And unfortunately, it, it did have to do with money. It doesn't always have to do with money, but it did have to do with money. And it was something this little, and I hope this speaks to you guys, because if this is your church and you're in this, God didn't just arbitrarily decide to throw down miracles on our church and pass up some other church. It has to do with the way things are done. It really does. And some people don't like to hear that. They're like, oh, God just likes you for some reason and doesn't like the church. I was, no, it's, this is the way things are done. He said, didn't he say, if a person purifies himself, if you don't get all caught up in theology, if you keep the ship you know, clean and operating the way it should, then you'll be a vessel for honor. And what's true for individuals is true for a church. And the churches that don't have the power of God, they're not doing it right. That's, it's pretty simple stuff. So basically what happened to me was uh, Susan and I need a new car. And we don't have money for a new car. We've never had money for a new car, but we've never had a car payment ever in our lives. And when we need a new car, we just start praying. And we start praying. And lo and behold, like always happens, we didn't tell people, try to manipulate people at the prayer meeting. Oh, we just have a great need, everyone. Just pray with us, please. Just join your hearts together with us for this burden. It's so heavy upon us. Um, anyway, how much you make it every year? Um, so we didn't do that. We just prayed. And it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, we got a pretty sweet car. And I, I wanted a good car because I Susan, she drives... Drove to Wisconsin the other day. Um, right after we got it, Jason and I drove to Kentucky to go to that Asbury Revival. You know, it's like we want a car that actually is decent and it's not going to break down. I don't want her having to go to Bubba's, you know, mechanic shop in Toledo, Ohio. Whatever. So we pray for good and and just miraculously huge gifts, massive gifts. Bam, bam, bam. And then God's like, yeah, but I want you to honor me with those gifts. And, and I want you to make sure, like Tim was saying, honor me with, with, with the first fruits there. And uh, I guess I'll be specific. I felt like it was a little over $2,000 that I felt like God wanted me to give to a couple different things. And so I took care of about half of it. And then I said, uh, I got caught up in the car by and I said, oh, I'll take care of this afterwards. I'll make, and I think, I think I could see where it would come from. Oh. And uh, lo and behold, after all the rigmarole and the expenses and the DMV and taxes and whatever, uh, there was no more money. And so for a couple months, I realized that what God had asked me to do, I didn't do. And uh, had I done it, our church wouldn't be in quite the financial bind that it's in right now. And we're not, we're not desperate, but it's a, little, it's a little concerning. And it just made me think you know, not just with money, with prayer. And I'm not going to look at anybody. We have an all-night of prayer because we have impossible situations. I don't want to be too graphic, but I mean, I had a gun in my hand that someone was going to put their brains on the wall of the discipleship house because they were demonized. And we're confronting problems like this all the time. 
not looking at anyone. Did you decide that maybe the all night prayer thing, even though the Lord was saying, go, you convince yourself that it wasn't really necessary and maybe not that even though the Holy Spirit was, how about your time with the Lord in the morning? Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. I encourage every single guy I disciple, we are so far behind the people in scripture and history who are awesome. Take at least a half hour a day just to memorize because you don't know that book. And when I was younger, and, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to go into at least a half hour because we're so far behind. And get in the habit of learning how to pray for an hour a day. That's outrageous. Well, show me from scripture and history how it's outrageous. Jesus didn't pray an hour a day. The apostles didn't pray an hour a day. George Mueller didn't pray an hour a day. Hudson Taylor didn't pray an hour a day. Dale Moody didn't pray an hour a day. You know, the early people in the Salvation Army, when they were a force, didn't pray an hour a day. The Methodist circuit writers, everybody and their dog prayed for at least an hour a day in all of church history when the church was something great. But then we make excuses as to why, right? So just for me, this financial thing, God is like, Ted, you have to be walking tightly in step with me to go where this church is going. Financials is just one thing. It's kind of obvious, but spiritually as well. You need to be where you need to be. You need to meet with who you need to meet with. Man, sometimes God says, call this person. I'm like, ah, I don't want to. This person is impossible, Lord. Keep going after him. Keep going after him. Keep going after him. Keep praying for them. There's somebody going on a missions trip. You know, I wanted to get a new part for my mountain bike. Give that money to that individual, right? Just being very sensitive to his spirit. So uh, tying all these things together, there's churches that don't have power. There's churches that do have power. There's individuals that do have power. There's individuals that have the touch of God on their life. One of the things that the people have the touch of God on their life do is they keep it very simple, according to Paul. Another thing is they're mighty in the word. We also have seminars on Saturday. You have more important things to do than get together with a bunch of people that maybe know a lot more than you do or if we're really disciples to train so that you know the word, you know theology, you know history, you know apologetics, you're ready to go. Um, so are we where we're supposed to be? But anyway, we're not getting caught up. We're keeping it simple. We're walking in holiness. Some of you guys, not everybody's supposed to be in a CD group. But my CD group, since we formed them, for those of you who are new, core discipleship groups, I've had a tighter walk with the Lord than probably ever in my life. Are they fun? Not necessarily. I like all the guys in my CD group, and I'm friends with them. It's not the most fun meeting. Were you in the Word and in Prayer? Yep. Uh, how's your soul? What, what don't you want me to know that you did this week? Those are the kind of questions we ask. Are you doing anything else? Are you, are you walking in holiness? Are you in prayer, et cetera? We have about six or seven questions we ask each other, five guys. Are you supposed to be in one of those groups? Well, probably not because, you know, they probably don't like me anyway. Or I didn't ask for your opinion. 
You're supposed to be my slave. If God is Jesus your Lord, you're his bond slave. You just do what he says. So I guess this is all, I guess my challenge to you is I want to be a church where God is moving. I want to be a church where God is moving more. God is moving. I want to be at a place where God is moving more. I want to see more miracles. But it's not just about the pastor doing it. It used to be the Tad show pretty much at my previous church. What's Tad going to do? You know? Tad going to lead someone to Christ? Is Tad going to disciple somebody? You know, it's a, now God's using dozens of people in this church. I mean, it's super cool. I mean, people are leading people to Christ and people are praying and people are going on mission. It's really awesome. Everybody in this place has to be on their game. So if a person purifies himself from these things, are you getting all off into this heady Christianity and the Lord saying, hey, this is not the track. Go back to the basics. Keep it simple. Go out and witness instead of reading those big, fat, apologetic books. There'll be time for that, but not at the expense of the more important things, the widows and the orphans and the lost. Are you spending your time getting to know the word? Are you hanging around people you should be and getting away from the people you shouldn't be? Some people want to come to this church and God says, you're not supposed to be in this church. I say, get out of here. Go to the church you're supposed to be at. Some people are supposed to be in this church, but they don't want to be a part of this church because we're that church. That's what we were in Ellsworth, too. We were that church. I don't want to be in that church. I want to be in the church where all the respectable people go. The point is, do what the Lord's asking you to do so that we can have his favor. So we're in a little bit of a financial crunch. If everybody does what we're supposed to do, end of discussion, we're fine. I really believe that. We're fine. We're just fine. So we have an impossible situation where someone's going to kill themselves and they're demonized and whatever. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. Within a week, he's in Teen Challenge. He's there right now. This was a crisis last week, and he's there now because people are doing what they're supposed to do. Opening up their home, also saying no sometimes. You know, when, when the Lord tells you to say no. So hopefully I've made my point, and hopefully I blended what I wanted to say. Paul was saying with what was going on in that room, but I need to kind of, I, I, I want to ask you guys, and it's a pretty good time to do it at communion. And I've even done this perfectly with timing. So Jason can come up here and do the, uh, have the last 15 minutes for communion. This is a time where we kind of renew our vows to the Lord. Are you walking in obedience to what you know God has asked you to do? I'm not dating the wrong person. I'm not going to the wrong church. I'm not mishandling my money. I'm not fudging on something that the Lord asked me to do. He asked me to share Christ with my roommate, and I keep putting it off. He asked, and with young people, it's always break up with that person and stop being foolish. It's not going to work. Did you do it? Are you in the wrong job? Are you in the right job? There's only one reason. Any question we have, there's only one reason. Why are you living in this house? Why are you hanging out with this friend? You know, there's only one answer. I feel it's what God wants me to do. Are you walking in obedience to all that you know the Lord's asking you to do if you're born again? Now, if there's someone in here who's not born again, you don't know what in the world I'm talking about. And this morning, I'm like, hey, get on the team. Because if, if you're not born again, I mean, this isn't even for you. This is for those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They've given their lives to Jesus, and Jesus has given his life to them. And they said, I'm going to serve you no matter where I am. You know, if I own the ice cream store, I'm going to serve him in the ice cream store. You know, 
If I'm a teacher, what I, I'm going to serve them with all my heart where I'm at. Um, but if you're not born again, you're still on the outside and you need to be forgiven. You need to be changed so you can get on the team. But for those of us who are born again, which is most of the people in this room, this is the time to say, am I walking in step with the Lord so I can be that vessel for honor so that God's favor can continue to rest on this church so that we can keep doing the impossible? Because I love this place. I love doing life with you guys. I look out on this. I've been in other ministries where there's tension. I look out and I'm like, hey, maybe you guys got a problem with me, but I don't know about it. Because I'm at peace. I feel like I'm at peace with all you guys. We get together for prayer. The Bible says one heart, one mind, striving together for, you know, with one purpose. Um, but I just want to put the finger on each one of you guys. Like me, is there something you're fudging in? Is there something, some misstep, something you didn't do that you put off, something that you need to surrender? Some of you guys just need to, maybe for the first time, just lay it all down. And this is supposed to be just maintenance. For those of us who are born again, reaffirm, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you shed your blood for me. You gave everything for me. I'm going to, in a fresh new way, affirm my faith in you, but surrender afresh to you. So I hope that was helpful. And um, I'm going to say a word of prayer and then let Jason come up and lead us in uh, a time of communion. So Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Like the psalmist said, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything hurtful in me. See if there's anything that's hindering your kingdom, your cause. It's not bringing blessing to me and others that's actually going to harm me, harm other people. Search us, oh God. Help us to make that commitment. Help us to make those changes because as we do, Lord, you're going to move. And you are moving and we're amazed. And we love seeing what you do. We love being a part of it. And we just want to see more. So search our hearts. And I pray that this would be a great time for uh, my brothers and sisters in this room to surrender afresh and open up and experience uh, more of your fullness. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So Jason.